is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and this is a very, very important show. Uh, The title of it is Nursing Voices to Expose Human Trafficking of Children, Part 2. So this is actually a follow-on to an episode that I did uh, July 6th, 2020, with Dr. Jessica Peck regarding this huge problem of child trafficking in the world. Today's show adds Holly Austin-Smith-Gibbs to the show. Holly was trafficked as a child and has written a book about that experience called Walking Prey, How America's Youth Are Vulnerable to Sex Slavery. I had no idea when we scheduled this show that the timing would coincide with the Lifetime documentary of perhaps the country's worst serial pedophile. Uh, that started last evening, August 10th, and will be rep- uh, I guess will be continued tonight on the 11th. It is a horrendous thing that so many people are involved and in spreading this criminal activity to the tune of a billion dollar industry. Please help me welcome my guests to shed light on what we as nurses can do to protect children and stop this trafficking. So first, Dr. Jessica Peck, um, she is a DNP, APRN, professor of nursing for Baylor University. She's president-elect of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, um, Texas Nurse Practitioner of the Year, 2019 to 2020. So Dr. Peck, can you please uh, share again, even though you've been on a little about your bio and how you came to um, exposing child traffickers and protecting children? Well, thanks so much, Leanne, for having me back on your show, and thank you for addressing this, like you said, really important topic. And I am really excited because I see nursing starting to mobilize and really make a difference in trafficking, which is a great thing. And to give you know your listeners a little recap, I didn't know anything about trafficking, even as 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 recently as four years ago. And one of my friends who runs an anti-trafficking group in Texas here asked me to help her make continuing education for nurses in Texas. And my first response, I'm ashamed to say, was, no, I think you have the wrong nurse. That's not me. I don't know about that. But she couldn't find nurses that knew about trafficking to make high-quality continuing education. And so as I started on that journey with her, I recognized that I was asking the wrong question. The wrong question was the wrong question was, how can I help you? The right Mm -hmm. question was, how can I not help you? And so Mm. since that, we've taken that from Texas to uh, to requiring with House Bill 2059 mandatory education for all direct care providers in Texas to the national level, to the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, where we started the Alliance for Children and Trafficking, where our mission is to educate nurses all over the world on how to respond to uh, identify and respond to child trafficking and to advocate for children all over the world who are in trafficking. And that's found me on places like your show and other media and in the halls of Congress and in academic institutions and medical institutions all over the country because nurses are waking up and recognizing that we really can make a difference. In so many ways, but here's another one. Um, This is fantastic, and I'm really excited to hear that it is moving along and that we're getting more people involved on the right side of this. So, um, um, Holly, I know Austin Smith is your maiden name, and you wrote the book under that name, so I wanted to introduce you with that. And then Gibbs is your married name, is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Okay, well, welcome to Once a Nurse, and um, I'm hoping that you can share a little bit about your bio, your career aspect, um, and then we'll talk in just a couple minutes about um, your book and your background. Sure, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the show and for covering this topic. Yes. Um, so I am the director of Common Spirit Health 
Violence and Human Trafficking Response Program. Um, Common Spirit Health is a, is a national healthcare system that was formed by the alignment of two other healthcare systems called Dignity Health and CHI. I started out at Dignity Health, and um, but now with this alignment, um, Common Spirit is addressing uh, hu- violence and human trafficking in hospitals across the country and um, also in our communities. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing uh, now. I'm sure it must help. Um, and plus, writing your book had to be very helpful in healing the um, trauma that you had. So um, I do welcome you so much. And I want to put in here, we'll probably say it a couple of times through the show, but if people wanted to get a hold of you, to ask questions, to find out where to go from here, how would they contact you? Sure. Um, you could reach me at holly, H-O-L-L-Y dot Gibbs, G-I-B-B-S, at DignityHealth.org. Wonderful. And while we're at it, Jessica, could you also share yours so that if somebody wanted to connect with you, they would have that right away at the top of the show? Absolutely. And I have heard from some of your listeners from the July 6th show. So mm-hmm. keep contacting me. Keep your questions. I would love to help connect you to resources. You can go to our website, NAPNAP Partners. Dot org. That's NAPNAP, N-A-P-N-A-P, partners.org. And there is an email feature on there, info at NAPNAPpartners.org. You can email me there and find all of our information on our website. Okay. And I also will be adding some of these resources from both of these wonderful people uh, to my website and to the um, Caring Corner on my uh, LinkedIn and Facebook pages. So um, to go forward, Holly, please share with us, however you want to start this and however you want to bring in the book, um, share with us your experience. Sure. Well, um, before I share my, my story, I want to say again, um, I am married. I'm in, a, I'm in a wonderful place today. So even though I'll be describing a traumatic experience, I want everyone to know that, uh, that things, are, things are very good today. I'm the director of this national program, and I get to use this terrible experience from my past to help other victims and survivors today. And I partner with survivors of human trafficking across the country. Um, so if anyone is interested in uh, continuing work or starting work, I encourage you to, um, to partner with survivors in your, in your own community. So um, my story began when I was 14 years old. This is going back to the summer between 8th grade middle school and ninth grade high school, which is a vulnerable time for any young person, but I was really struggling with the transition between middle and high school. I was, gosh, I was afraid of getting beat up in high school. I was afraid of losing my friends. I was afraid I'd never find a real boyfriend. Um, You know, all these things that seem a bit silly to say as an adult were very real concerns to me, and I just thought that my whole life was going to come crashing down around me uh, when I started high school. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 
80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual Leadership Summit on October 22, 2020. Womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Jessica Peck. I am temporarily hosting for Leanne. Uh, this is Once a Nurse, and we have just temporarily lost Leanne on technological issues that seem to plague us these days. Everybody's on Zoom, and so sometimes that happens, and so I'm just going to step in and host for her until she jumps back on the line. If you're listening, Jessica, we have... I'm a- back on the line. Yay! Wonderful! Great! Yay! I will <laughs> gladly hand it to you. You got it. You've got a live, live love, live uh, audio or uh, media. Okay, we're back. And I missed your whole story, so um, I'm going to be punching well, here a little bit. She was just starting, Leanne. Um, she was just starting. Yep. Pardon me? She was just, she was just oh, starting great. her story. Okay. All right, then let's, let's do that. Go ahead with your story then, Holly. Okay, thank you. Um, so just to, to kind of recap in case others heard, um, the, my story begins when I was 14 years old. Uh, between the summer of eighth grade middle school and ninth grade high school. So that's a really challenging time for a lot of young people. And I was really mm-hmm. struggling during that transition, and I was really fearful of going into high school. So I met this man at my local shopping mall, a bright, busy, suburban shopping mall that I've been going to since I was a kid. So I had no reason to feel fearful. We exchanged phone numbers, and we talked on the phone um, for about two weeks. And, you know, talking to someone that I didn't know, um, I mean, my friends and I were always on the phone, always on three-way, always bringing in new people. So it wasn't a mm-hmm. super strange thing that I was talking to this this guy that I didn't know. Um, but uh, what was different about him was that he treated me in a way where he he seemed to really care about what I had to say. You know, he would ask me questions, and um, never did he make me feel silly in my responses, whereas a lot of the other people that I talked to from middle school and high school would make you feel that way. So I wasn't very open um, uh, in a lot of ways, but I was with him. And so he, he, you know, he acted like he was my friend, um, maybe a romantic interest. I'm not sure. I knew exactly what he wanted. I just knew that he was interested in me. And he said things that made me feel good about myself. He said things like, I was pretty enough to be a model, which I didn't believe, but it felt really Mm -hmm. good to hear. He also said that I was too Mm -hmm. mature for high school. And um, that meant a lot to me as a 14-year-old. That was my whole goal, to um, come across Mm -hmm. as mature. So Mm -hmm. he also painted a picture of living a really glamorous lifestyle. He said he traveled across the country in a red Corvette and um, went to famous famous dance clubs in famous cities where famous people hung out. And, you know, I don't remember all the things that we talked about over that two-week time frame, but I remember him talking about famous people. And um, I was just fascinated. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was just fascinated by that. And um, so he he offered me this opportunity. He said that if I wanted to run away and skip out on high school, he could help me become a musician or a model or something glamorous in Los Angeles, California. And I I grew up in a a small town 
in South Jersey. So I was surrounded by the Pine Barrens, you know, very isolated. And I just thought if I can get out of this tiny town, I can really start to live my life. So I chose to run away with this person. And um, he ultimately took me to a a motel near Atlantic City. And um, when he made it clear what he expected me to do, um, I didn't think, oh my gosh, I'm a victim of a crime. I have to run out of this motel room screaming and find help. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I fell for this. You know, I chose to give him my phone number. I chose to run away. I could only see the choices that I made to get myself into this situation. So I thought it was my responsibility to get myself out. Um, from there, I was uh, forced to prostitute in Atlantic City that, that very same night that I ran away. Um, there was a woman um, who was, you know, under this man. Who, and she's the one who oversaw me. She's the one who dyed my hair and dressed me and took me to uh, Pacific Avenue in Atlantic City and told me what to do. Um, and, you know... Atlantic City in the 90s was a much more dangerous place than it is today. I mean, you can walk around at night around the casinos and go to an outlet mall and to, you know, shopping areas close by. But back then, there there was no reason to be walking on the streets. So I didn't feel like anyone around me was safe. And um, this mm-hmm. woman, her name was Nikki, she was the person that I looked to for safety when I um, had to go into and leave a casino room, she was the one waiting for me. She became like my lifeline. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, the, in the middle of the second night is when I was arrested by law enforcement. And being arrested by law enforcement was very traumatic. I was not treated like a victim right away. I was treated like a, a, a criminal or a juvenile delinquent. And um, mm-hmm. in the police car... Um, driving from Pacific Avenue to the police station, this arresting officer called me all kinds of names, like the worst names that you can think of for someone in that situation. Those were the things that he said to me. So in, so I actually thought that, um, you know, he, what he was saying to me reinforced my feelings that I was at fault, that I got myself into this situation. So I felt like I was fundamentally damaged. I no longer belonged in normal society. And I actually wanted to get oh back God. to uh, the man who convinced me to run away from home. Um, and I know that that sounds very strange. But um, once this man, you know, I understood this man tricked me into running away. But once he had me doing what he wanted me to do, he praised me. He tried to make me feel good about Mm -hmm. what I was doing, whereas the police officer Mm -hmm. was doing the exact opposite to me. So I, I was wanting to get away from the police and get back to them. And that was my state of mind. Um, moving from there forward, uh, they ran my, the law enforcement ran my name and I came up as a missing person. So quickly they realized that I was a victim. And um, uh, there were ultimately three different police agencies involved in my case. The process involved, you know, two male detectives from each of those agencies all interviewing me, either in a police station, at the back of a cop car, in an interrogation room, in the emergency department. Um, all of these experiences were re-traumatizing, and um, and and so I, I dedicate my my life and my career now to. Um, to sharing my story and helping law enforcement officers and other professionals, including health professionals, understand what a victim of human trafficking has just been through or what a survivor of trauma is going through um, so that we can better assist them today so that a victim doesn't have to go through the same experiences that I went through. Now, when I, I had to go through an emergency department, I had to be assessed by an emergency psychiatrist. Um, I was ultimately I had to be assessed by an OBGYN, and I was ultimately placed in a mental health facility. So in my in my situation, healthcare actually played a big role in my recovery in the time after my recovery. Oh. And all of those encounters were opportunities for a health professional to connect with me, to build rapport with mm-hmm. me, and to educate me on um, on resources that that are available to me. So. 
it, so nobody was doing that for me, even though there were three police districts involved in my case. They were all oh. focused on the trafficker. You know, they were all questioning me about him. Who is he? How did you meet him? Where can we find him? Um, none of the questions were about me and my well-being. So we are in a position as health professionals where we can help to build a bridge uh, for a victim to a local agency or a national agency that can continue to support this person um, after being recovered. It took me years to overcome what happened to me because I was never connected with the right agency, with the right resources to help me overcome. So um, for this reason, it's so important that healthcare systems have a policy and a procedure in place to assist victims of violence, including human trafficking. And I can talk more about that at the end, but I'll close my story by saying this man was caught and convicted. It took law enforcement a year to find him, um, but he did serve time in prison. And as, a, as an adult, I'm certainly grateful about that. Uh, but when I was a 14-year-old kid, I simply didn't care what happened to him. What I cared about was what mm. was happening to me. Right. And what happened with Nikki? Uh, she was also arrested, um, but she actually uh, posted bail and um, had fled New Jersey. And she's, I believe she's still considered mm. a fugitive in New Jersey. <clears throat> so when you were um, in the hands of the healthcare, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, did this man ever try to contact you or to try and get you out of there? He did not. Um, I think he recognized right away that I was going to be, um, you know, discovered as a victim. And so he and Nikki mm -hmm. uh, fled the, the motel room where they were staying. So by the time I cooperated with law enforcement, which was the next day, and, and I helped them find this motel room, um, they had cleared out. Okay. So um, what about your family? When did they realize that you were gone and, and what happened on their end of it? So my um, my mom had listed, had reported me as missing. So when I turned up in Atlantic City, um, the law enforcement officers contacted my family and they were, you know, equally traumatized, equally devastated by the experience. So even though I went home with my family that night, that probably wasn't the best place for me to go. You know, I needed a place mm -hmm. to heal. I needed time to heal, as did my parents. They needed time to understand um, what happened. Uh, I was, you know, refusing to cooperate with law enforcement because of the way the arresting officer treated me. And that was really difficult mm -hmm. for my parents to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that must have been very confusing. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, maybe this is something that Jeffrey Epstein's case can, you know, bring more of this uh, information to the foreground so that people really understand more what, what works and what doesn't work in, in working with somebody that has been traumatized in this way. Um, you know, I can't even imagine talking to a 14-year-old like they are some, this is something they chose. So that absolutely blows my mind. So let's bring it up to date then. How did you get involved in the work that you're doing now? Obviously, you probably went back to high school. What, what happened from there? Yeah, I mean, I really struggled in high school. I had to, um, you know, I moved around. My parents moved around um, so that I could go to a different school. Um, Again, I, it, I struggled for years with uh, with depression and, um, mm -hmm. you know, this, this experience of having been trafficked, that's uh, an adverse childhood experience, which I know Dr. Peck is going to talk about shortly. So, right. um, and all the mm -hmm. experiences associated with that event, these are all adverse childhood experiences that led to compromised um, health and well-being. So it led to depression. It led to substance use. Um, Life, you know, I I did finish high school. I went to college, but my self-esteem was rock bottom. I internalized shame and blame for a very long time, and so that prevented me from excelling socially. Um, 
what what was really life changing for me was meeting other survivors of sex trafficking. Um, so, in a trauma informed approach, there's these uh, different guiding principles, which I'm sure De- Dr. Peck is going to talk about. And one of those guiding principles is peer support and mutuality, meaning survivors of trauma. Um, uh, very pivotal in their recovery to be connected with survivors of similar trauma. So meeting other survivors of sex trafficking, which happens 10 to 15 years later, uh, that's when I, I start, I finally started through their stories. I saw my own vulnerabilities and I began to understand the dynamics of manipulation and coercion um, and that I wasn't to blame. And as I shed all of that shame and blame, I finally really started to flourish. From there, I started sharing my story to law enforcement, social service providers, legislators, um, for, you know, over several years with various agencies that that I would consult with, and then I wrote my book. But um, I realized that all of these conferences that I was going to, healthcare was, was often missing from the conversation and healthcare played such a big role mm-hmm. in, in my recovery period mm-hmm. that there, I recognized mm-hmm. there was, you know, we need to engage healthcare more. And that's when I discovered um, the program that Dignity Health had started in 2004. Um, and I, I joined in 2005 and I'm just so proud to, yes. to lead this program, which involves developing policies and procedures um, and, and other uh, strategies to support victims and survivors. Holly, before we leave you, I would like to just ask a little bit about what um, I'm imagining that for your family, you said it was very hard for them to understand why you were not cooperating with the police. And I'm wondering if, um, you know, did they get any kind of support or, or any help in knowing how to support you? And what about also... Um, uh, extended family was that helpful or or not helpful? Yeah, I um, like I said, I my family needed support as well, and so we all struggled. We all struggled for for a while. We simply didn't talk about the experience. We all kind of you know left it in the past. But of course, I internalized that and wasn't able to let it go. Um, but we're, you know, we're all doing really well now. They're very proud of the work that I do, um, and you know, they're they're very big supporters. Great. That's one of the things I think healthcare can be helpful with. Also, is to be able to educate family because you know, for them too, this is a unknown thing, and all of a sudden it it turns up in your family. And you can't. I can see parents maybe internalizing what did we do wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So sort of mm-hmm. that same kind of thing. And, and when you hear these stories and you realize how insidious, um, there's like a playbook. And they all seem to be following the same playbook um, on how to trap these young women and, and men, too, I would assume. So, yes, uh, let's take a break here and we'll come back and um, talk with Dr. Peck. Um, this is uh, Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I am Leanne Meyer. Um, I've been talking, we've been talking about uh, nursing voices to expose human trafficking of children, part two. And my guests are Dr. Jessica Peck, who is a DNP and um, uh, advanced practice RN, a uh, professor of nursing in Baylor University, and Holly Austin Smith Gibbs, who is a victim of child trafficking and the author of Walking Prey How America's Youth Are Vulnerable to Sex Slavery. And we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Womeninhealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. 
but less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22nd, 2020. org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now. To showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event, visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and today's show is, um, we're talking uh, about, actually, this is a a follow-on show to a show that was on July 6th. And the title is Nursing Voices to Expose Human Trafficking of Children. And this is the second part, second session. So Jessica Peck is a DNP and an advanced practice RN. She's a professor of nursing at Baylor University. And Holly Austin Smith-Gibbs is a victim of child trafficking and has is the author of Walking Prey, How America's Youth Are Vulnerable to Sex Slavery. So we've been talking about Holly's story which uh, if you'd like to get the book, you will be able to um, review that that portion of it again. Um, So I want to come back now and talk with um, Dr. Peck about some of the aspects from the healthcare point of view. And I'm just going to turn it over to to Jessica. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much again, Leanne, for having me on. And again, I'm just, I'm so excited to be here with Holly. And I want to say, I want to tell everybody out there what an important part of my journey that Holly played in educating and informing me as a healthcare professional. Because as I said, when I first started in this, I really didn't know anything. And so I started with what any reasonable person would start with, and that is Google. (laughs) I started just looking up things on the internet, and Holly is one of the first names that came across. And I got her book and started reading, and I recognized that this is how we're missing trafficking in the healthcare profession because we have all of these misperceptions. And Holly's story is a perfect example of, you know, the story I shared on your show last time was what I hear all the time is people, you know, going and posting on social media. I don't usually post this, but I was almost abducted by a human trafficker in my grocery store parking lot. And that's what people are telling their kids to be afraid of is these 
creepy-looking men who lurk around in parking lots to lure mm-hmm. us into the white van. And that's just not how trafficking happens. And so Holly's book is so evidence-based, and it talks a lot about mm-hmm. the science and the research that informs our views as healthcare providers. And so as soon as I heard her speak, I knew that we had to hear her at our national conference for the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. And Holly, I don't even know if I've shared this with you, but one of the things that you said during your speech really stuck with me and resonated with me because you talked about your interaction with the nurses and you said, they didn't treat me badly, but they didn't really know what to do with me. They said they were nice. Mm -hmm. They just didn't know Mm -hmm. what to do with me. And that really just resonated with me because I thought, yeah, that's it because we don't know, you know, do we accept this? Is this a victim paradigm? Is this a healthcare paradigm? Is this a criminal justice paradigm? Really, it's it's a health paradigm. And so, what we know, you know, now about trafficking. What I know now is that obviously trafficking is an adverse childhood event occurs, and uh, the ACEs study or the adverse childhood event. A study was a study that was done by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente between 1995 and 1997, and they looked at 17,000 children and looked at these adverse childhood experiences that influence health and well-being throughout the lifespan. And it was really shocking what they found that adverse childhood events they actually disrupt our neurodevelopment and they impact our social and our emotional and our cognitive functioning. And then they they influence us to start to adopt health risk behaviors. And then the, as the number of ACEs increases, the risk for these things increases too. Alcoholism and alcohol abuse, depression, uh, drug use, ischemic heart disease, poor work performance, financial stress, risk for intimate partner violence, sexually transmitted infections, smoking, suicide. I mean, just on and on and on, we recognize how adverse childhood events impact our ability to function as healthy adults for, like Holly said, for years Mm -hmm. on into life. And those, you know, those adverse childhood events include abuse and neglect and household dysfunction, which all of those things are wrapped up in trafficking. So for us, especially as pediatric nurses, we really want to, um, to, have prevention, and we want to recognize these, those things early, and we want to connect children and their families to the appropriate services so that they can get health, help from a healthcare perspective. As you know, as Holly has talked about, criminal justice is really ahead of the curve on this uh, on handling trafficking. They've seen it, they've recognized it. They and their criminal justice paradigm is that just that, getting justice, and they want to get the bad guy or the bad girl and put them in jail, and mm-hmm. that's the happy ending. But we know as healthcare professionals, that's just the beginning of someone's journey. And so we we really need to, in healthcare, embrace a trauma-informed approach. And Holly started talking about this. And as I've gone and spoken across the country and and convened groups of law enforcement and healthcare professionals and, and talk to each other because we use very different language and we have very different professional tools that we use. And really the thing that goes across both of those professions is a trauma-informed approach. And I'm surprised still at how many nursing professionals and healthcare professionals think, yeah, I think I've heard that before, but I really don't know what mm-hmm. it is. So really trauma-informed mm-hmm. care just understands and considers the pervasive nature of trauma, and it's going to promote environments of healing and recovery rather than practices and services that may inadvertently re-traumatize. As healthcare professionals, we always have the, the right thing in mind. We want to do the right thing. We want to say the right thing. We want to connect to the right services. But if we don't have that training, then we may mm-hmm. re-victimize victims. So I said this in the last show, this is really important, that the objective of healthcare professionals is not to get victims victims to self-disclose and say, oh my gosh, I'm a victim. I've been waiting for three years for someone to rescue me. That's not how it happens at all. And so we we want Mm -hmm. to uh, empower victims and uh, and to put them on a journey towards survivorhood. And there's there's six core principles of a trauma-informed approach, and I'll just go over those really briefly here. But what the first Mm -hmm. one is safety, making sure that throughout the organization, Patients and staff feel physically and psychologically safe. And I think this is really important, too, for uh, healthcare professionals because as I talk uh, across the country, uh, in, inevitably, there are some healthcare professionals, nurses, 
who recognize their own victimization, or maybe they have recognized that before and they recognize they have trauma in their past. They're survivors of interpersonal violence. They're survivors of sexual abuse. When you encounter a victim who has also you know, been abused or traumatized in that way, this may not be the, the person, the patient for you to take care of. And we need to create a safe space for that to say, you know what? This isn't the case for me to take. What what way can we support this patient the best uh, by giving them, you know, assigning them to another care provider? But also, you know, of course, making them feel physically and psychologically safe as the victims is important too. We need to be, the second core principle is being trustworthy and transparent. We need to make decisions with transparency with the goal of building and maintaining trust. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit and talking about the difference between adults and child victims. But for right now, Mm -hmm. I'll just talk about adult victims. Adult victims need to be involved in their decision-making. They have a right whether or not to, to... file a criminal report on their trafficker and or to call law enforcement. You know, sometimes there's mandated reporting, but when there's not, we need to make sure that we're transparent. And that's a really difficult clash because in law enforcement, sometimes they use deception in order to... the the means, you know, to justify that the means justifies the end. And they may use uh, deception to get a victim to give them the information that they need to then go and get the perpetrator. But in healthcare, we don't do mm-hmm. that. We always are trustworthy and transparent. So we need to make sure that we do that. Peer support is important. You know, individuals with shared experiences are integrated into the organization and, and viewed as integral to service delivery. So having survivor-informed care is really important. Mm-hmm. Healthcare institutions need a survivor leader who is helping to inform them on what practices and policies can be there. And we also need to recognize that dealing with uh, with these situations can cause vicarious trauma for us as healthcare professionals. It can be, even if we haven't experienced trauma before, seeing what this is like, seeing the depth of the violence that some children especially you know, mm-hmm. endure, we need to make sure that our organizations have policies in place and support systems in place to support uh, the healthcare providers as well as the victims. The last three principles are collaboration, talking about power differences uh, between the staff and the clients and among the staff to support shared decision-making. A lot of times in healthcare institutions, what I see is very homogenous decision-making groups. Maybe it's all physicians. Maybe it's all administrators. Mm -hmm. And they say, Mm -hmm. oh, we need to have this policy in place, so let's just have this and and put it into place. But we need to have a shared decision-making table where we have survivor leaders, where we have administrative staff, where we have healthcare professionals, where we have ancillary staff and on all of those people at the table. The fifth one is empowerment, making sure that we recognize patient and staff strengths and and building a belief in resilience and the ability to heal from trauma. This is such an important part for us to play because we can give messages of hope. You know, you are not alone. There are services we can mm-hmm. connect you to. You this and a lot of times they don't recognize their victimization. So saying it's not okay for someone to do this to you. This wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't, you were a child. These, you can't be faulted for the decision-making. And sometimes that's the first time that they've heard those kinds of messages. And the last one is humility and, and cultural and responsiveness. We need to make sure that we're looking at implicit and explicit bias and stereotypes and historical mm-hmm. trauma. And a lot of times, you know, we can have implicit bias. We don't even recognize our own bias in mm-hmm. looking at, at victims, maybe thinking of labels like prostitute or drug addict or those kinds of things, which are really mm-hmm. harmful and not looking at it through the lens of potential trafficking. So I think, you know, those mm-hmm. things are, are really important in looking at that trauma-informed approach. I'm going to give a little disclaimer about child victims and then let uh, Holly talk about what you can do in your organization. Child victims in all 50 states were mandated reporters. We have to report it. Now, whether we report that to CPS, Child Protective Services, or Family Protective Services, or local law enforcement, or Homeland Security, or those kinds of things, those, it's real, that's why it's really important to know your state laws. But you do have to report it. And so this is where it doesn't matter if you're an organization of one, if you're a solo provider, or if you're an organization, a major medical institution of 10,000. You need to know what you're going to do should this walk in your door. 
Mm -hmm. It's walked through my door Mm -hmm. as a clinician and a solo provider, and you have to know what to do. It's kind of like an active shooter. We don't ever want to encounter that situation, but it's so high stakes. You really need to know what to do. And Holly has just done great work, and so I'll pass it over to her to talk to you about what you can do in your institution to help put policies and protocols in place to help empower victims, but also to equip and engage healthcare providers to know what to do and to have the tools they need to do it. Thank you. All right. Great. Thanks, Dr. Peck. Yeah. So um, we promote or advocate for education for all of our employees on human trafficking 101, as well as other types of violence. Uh, But with human trafficking, there's so many misconceptions about this type of violence that are often perpetuated in the media, just like Dr. Peck mentioned about the white van looking for for victims at shopping malls. Mm-hmm. So education on human trafficking. Uh, another thing to consider is um, a lot of folks who are working in um, non-clinical um, uh, positions are should also be educated on this type of violence because mm-hmm. they and their families themselves can be impacted. Um, when you provide trainings, keep in mind that staff may have already been impacted by this type of violence. So I have provided trainings where um, where staff have um, disclosed uh, that this is something that they or their family have experienced. So be prepared for, um, for, for that type of event in class as well. So we, we provide trainings on Human Trafficking 101 as well as trauma-informed care. We educate staff on trauma, um, signs and symptoms of trauma, and how to respond in meaningful ways. And um, like Dr. Peck mentioned, that includes vicarious trauma or secondary trauma. You know, the the mm-hmm. officer who arrested me in the middle of the night um, probably saw kids like me over and over and over. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a chance he was experiencing secondary trauma from those events and other events related to his job. That may that might have played a role in how he treated me in the middle of the night. You know, signs mm-hmm. and symptoms of secondary trauma include anger, cynicism inability to empathize. So we want to be sure that we're educating mm-hmm. our staff about trauma, including secondary trauma, and we're implementing ways to promote staff resiliency. And then, of course, implementing policies and procedures on how to respond to victims of violence. Um, one, um, when, when we started our program, we started with developing a so-called human trafficking protocol, so a procedure specific to responding to victims of human trafficking. But we learned quickly that um, signs and symptoms overlap and different types of violence often overlap. So a person could be a victim Mm -hmm. of sex trafficking and domestic violence and sexual violence. So we moved away from an HT-specific protocol, and now we have a policy that addresses all types of abuse, neglect, and violence. This policy guides staff on what to do if they think a patient may be a victim of any type of violence. A key component to this policy is what we call the PEAR tool, P-E-A-R-R. So it's five steps that describe how to walk into a room and talk to a patient about violence and offer victim assistance in a manner that's trauma-informed. So it stands for provide privacy, educate, ask, respect, and respond. Um, When we developed this policy, I'm sorry, when we developed this tool in partnership with HEAL Trafficking and uh, Pacific Survivor Center, um, we had the guiding principles of a trauma-informed approach in mind. So we prioritized safety, empowerment, voice, and choice for the for the patient. You know, like Dr. Peck mentioned, the goal of the, the steps is not to gain a disclosure from the patient, but instead to educate the patient about whatever type of violence is of concern, and then offer them an opportunity to be connected with a uh, community agency, um, whether they disclose or not. If we believe the reality is anytime we encountered patients that we believe to be victims of violence, including human trafficking, they were unlikely to answer questions or disclose. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we believe Mm -hmm. that they may be experiencing violence, we want to offer them an opportunity to be connected with an agency uh, so that maybe they can develop a relationship with the agency and disclose to them and receive further assistance. So all of these materials are available on our on our website, our educational modules, um, 
and the pair tool. But Leanne, I believe you'll be making the pair tool available uh, in your resources as yes. well. Yes, I will. And we are getting close to the end of our show, which has gone by so fast. Um, I do want you both to uh, give again uh, how to be able to get a hold of each of you. And then I will be putting that information on my website, uh, onceanurse.com, and on the Caring, um, uh, Caring Corner page of my LinkedIn and also Facebook. So, um, Dr. Peck, would you just say how they could get a hold of you? Absolutely. You can go to our website, napnappartners.org, napnappartners.org, and there is an, a contact us feature. And I would just say really quickly, Leanne, that, you know, in this time, our attention is on COVID and everybody's talking everything COVID. But the early indicators that we have with the research that are coming out is that exploitation is increasing exponentially during COVID. We have kids that are on at home unsupervised because maybe their you know, parents are essential workers. Uh, they're on their devices for longer times. They're on social media. They in, have increased vulnerability. So even now, when you're thinking about COVID, think about increased exploitation, abuse, neglect, and forms of violence. Mm-hmm. And our, this message and this education is more important now than ever. Okay. And Holly, um, how they can get a hold of you? Sure. Um, so you can visit commonspirit.org uh, slash united against violence. And you can email me at holly.gibbs at dignityhealth.org. Wonderful. Thank you so very much, both of you. I'm so delighted that you were able to be on. And this is a, a, a wonderful addition to the um, program that we had on July 6th with um, Dr. Peck. So as a, as Uh, Dr. Beck was just saying, as our country is mired in the confusion of chaos, that is the pandemics of COVID-19, climate destruction, systemic racism has uh, hounded us uh, in many different ways. Um, Children are more susceptible to the control and terrorism of traffickers. So I hope that this hour with my guests, Dr. Jessica Peck and um, Holly Austin-Smith-Gibbs, author of Walking Prey, America's youth are vulnerable to sex slavery, will drive this information around the world to every healthcare practitioner because we need to know all of this in order to prevent this evil. Thank you so much, and um, thank you for uh, attending to this Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing, and uh, I will hopefully be talking with you next week. Thank you. I think we're done. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.